My next guest is Joanne Hill, Chief Advisor of Research at SIBOVEST. And I'll tell you now, I could probably spend the next hour just going through her uh, resume. I mean, you're talking about a true industry luminary. She was previously head of institutional investment strategy at ProShares, who, of course, is a top 10 ETF issuer. Prior to that, she was with Goldman Sachs, where she was a managing director leading their global equity index, quantitative and derivatives research. I believe she was also the first sell-side ETF analyst, like ever. She's a recipient of the William F. Sharp Indexing Lifetime Achievement Award, which that's certainly not a dime a dozen award. She's one of the founding members and was the first co-president of Women in ETFs. I can keep going here. She serves on the editorial boards of the Financial Analyst Journal and Journal of Beta Investment Strategies. She's co-authored, along with a very good friends of this podcast, Dave Nottigan and Matt Hogan, a comprehensive guide to exchange-traded funds published by the CFA Institute Research Foundation, which she's actually on the board of governors for the CFA Institute itself. And she's now on the line with me from just outside Charleston, South Carolina. Joanne, it's an absolute pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Nate. Well, thank you so much for that great introduction. And uh, I have been so fortunate to have had a a great seat at the at this uh, show that ETFs have put on for almost three decades now. Uh, next year is, I think, 30th anniversary of, of the spider. So, uh, and it kind of keeps me engaged, as as you mentioned. Uh, I, I I think that Debbie Furr and I were probably the first ETF analysts. Um, me at, at Goldman and she at she at Morgan Stanley, but it, it was it was an interesting ride. Um, for sure. So, well, I think that's a perfect find- starting point. Yeah, why don't we start by taking a little bit of a stroll down memory lane, uh, and you know maybe you can talk about the role with Goldman Sachs and, and sort of how and why right. and when you first got involved with ETFs. Yeah, and it's funny because now everyone thinks that ETFs were just you know such a great growth story, and and they have had a, a high you know high rate of growth since the beginning, but. But it was very rocky going in early days. And um, so uh, so just to put this in context, uh, my job was to lead a strategy for indexing. Uh, it was really an institutional space in the 90s at Goldman. Uh, there were, you know, index managers, index futures use uh, globally, index options. Um, and you know there was at that point when uh, when when iShares was launched, I think there thirty to forty percent of defined benefit plans were invested in index strategies. So it was well established in equities at that time, but retail was nowhere. I mean, Vanguard had some mutual funds. Indexing was less than ten percent, and. Um, it was, uh, and and the spider was out there, but it was very small and not really promoted that much because I I just it it was not clear why it was needed because the institutions already had plenty of tools at low cost. So what happened was, you know, uh, a woman, yay, Patty Dunn, CEO of Barclays Global Investors, was a visionary, and she along with Lee Cranefist wanted to compete with all that money flowing into. Uh, into tech funds in the tech bubble. And they said, you know, let's show, show these folks some real, you know, index strategies at low fees, and maybe we can compete and, and gain some traction in the retail space. 
So they worked hard at it. You know, everyone rolled their eyes when they were going to launch 57 funds. They bought the webs from Morgan Stanley. And guess when they launched it? Spring of 2000, right at the beginning of a three, almost three-year bear market that was so deep. And so it was really tough going. Um, the, uh, the hedge funds knew how to short ETFs because they did it with the Qs. So they, in a way, some of the early users were more trading accounts shorting these products. So it really took until the mid-2000s. Um, and, and where I was sitting, um, Barclays was a, BGI was a client. They wanted, uh, re, you know, we wrote a research report about ETFs going mainstream, Barbara Mueller and I, that became course, sort of the first guide to ETFs. And, uh, and, you know, we put out a card. It was three pages long with all the ETFs. And we always, we put the underlying share volume, which was like, whoa, why do we need to know that? <laughs> so quite a time. What, what do you when think? What, Go I, ahead. No, I'm just curious. I mean, what do you think changed to help transition ETFs over to the retail investor? Because you make a good point in that. I think people look at the iShares and the Vanguards and the State Streets today, and they just assumed that that success was there from the beginning. But but that wasn't the case. It wasn't always an easy path. And so I'm just curious, I mean, as you look back on how successful ETFs have become now, what, what do you attribute that to? And I, I know people always like to talk about the lower cost and the rise of passive. Clearly, those are huge drivers. But maybe if we put those two things aside, what else do you think contributed to ETF success and, and helped get them into the mainstream, into the retail investors' hands? Right. Well, kind of around 2004, 2005, all of the stars begin to began to align um, for retail to get to get interested. I mean, we came out of that deep bear market, so equities were 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 doing very well, and um, and iShares really began marketing and advertising in a big way. But the other uh, Vanguard uh, was is very controversial at Vanguard. To, to launch ETFs, Jack Bogle did not want them, but Gus Sauter had the had the vision there to see it. I don't know if people remember they were called Vipers. To uh, they were launched in 2004. Uh, so Vanguard uh, gets you know enters the space, makes it easy, and finally, I think that the real uh, one of the real key drivers was the ease of access. So technology accessing them via brokerage accounts. Investors began to use the Internet in a big way. And this, uh, so they were really, if you think about it, they're a technology innovation, too, because of the way, way they, they're accessed compared to the way mutual funds were. So, um, so, so, and more financial advisors began to pay attention. But it was still a very small tactical allocation they were looking for new things after the bear market to show to their clients. I'm curious, when did you first realize that ETFs were going to be the success that they are today? Like, did you know that early on, or did it take a while for you to see that? Well, the re- I, okay, I would say that I was early to the being a convert because of what I saw as the as the range of the product. Okay, and. Uh, so what I mean here is that I had the largest institutions, multi-billion dollar pension plans using these products, and I could see that small retail could use it. And there, and I think and the big reasons they've been so successful is that uh, ETFs have 
such a variety of uses, right? And for the largest and the smallest investors, for people with intraday horizons, for, with three-year horizons, there's really no other investment product out there that, um, you know, that range of investors uses, except for T-bills. But T-bills are very short-term, right? So because they were really a packaging vehicle and a market access vehicle, um, and, and, you know, it brought together all this diverse group of investors. And I think that really, you know, is, is very key to their success and continues to be. I want to talk a little bit about your current role with SIBO uh, Vest and some of their ETF strategies. But before we do that, I'm just curious, as you look at the current ETF landscape, and we're around 3,000 U.S. listed products, uh, depending upon where the market's at, assets are, you know, north of $6 trillion. It, it touched up close to $7 right. trillion in the U.S. But w- as you look at the current landscape and the, and the overall health of the industry, what, what do you see? Do you, what do you see moving forward? Well, you know, I think in a way it has been a natural evolution. Um, so let me go back. One of the, so the first successes were in indexes that everyone knew, right, mm-hmm. but packaged now in low-fee accessible ETFs, right, mostly equity indexes. Yeah, I, the next phase was fixed income, and, and I said from the beginning that ETFs were going to revolutionize the fixed income space and the trading because there really wasn't portfolio trading or indexing in, in fixed income until ETFs came along. So, you know, that's been really embraced now. And, and then, you know, systematic active, smart beta, right? Uh, you know, innovation, gee, we can do these in ETFs. And, and now we're in the phase of, of some active strategies um, can actually uh, be, be successful. You know, that can be thematic strategies that are really just a step up from trading stocks, right? I mean, I think this is going to be a, a continued um, kind of piece of the industry. Um, investors, right, when they talk about how they feel about you know, the, their outlook, they don't always mention stocks. They might em- mention a sector or a, you know, a new emerging theme. And so it's great to have trading vehicles around to do that. And, you know, there are great active managers, some of whom, you know, now can package their strength. Bill Gross is the first to do it. And fixed income, you know, there's a lot of active ETFs out there. But um, what will limit, I think, the active side is, is part the transparency, but that um, the way they are sold sort of separates the end user, right, from where they access. So with mutual funds, you had a sales force. They knew who their customers were, um, whereas with ETFs, um, it's, it's a lot more complicated sales and distribution model. And I think that would be hard for some active managers to adapt to in addition to the low fees. So I see active growing, but not replacing uh, the, the, the mutual fund, you know, strategies that are out there. It'll be a bigger part, but not, you know, there'll still be a lot of good mutual fund managers that will work better in that packaging. Joanne, on this note of, of innovation in the industry, let, let's talk a little bit more about your current role with SIBO Vest. 
And when I think about SIBO Vest, I mean, obviously, they're heavily involved with options-based ETF strategies, uh, clearly innovative. And, and I think about the range of strategies being made available to investors now utilizing options and, and packaging those unique strategies into ETFs. In my mind, th- this is probably exhibit A of, of the innovation in the ETF space. Right. Can, can, can you talk about this segment of the ETF market? Wh- which, by the way, this is getting a lot more attention now, given the current uh, market environment. Right. Yeah, well, this is another case where, you know, I have always covered a range of index products throughout my career. And, you know, you never know when those stars are going to align. You have to be ready with product when it happens. And it's happening now for uh, option-based strategies, equity option-based strategies in ETFs, um, because we finally have uh, 60-40, you know, not performing as well as it has for many, many, many decades, for a couple decades here. But, yes, so as I was talking about this kind of evolution of of products and ETF packaging, it's been a long time coming, but, you know, I think we are now in this, you know, this current phase is not just active strategies, but the opportunity to put option-based strategies in ETFs. So institutions have been... I, you know, I, the term I like to use is options allow you to reshape your return pattern, okay? Um, in other words, get, you know, more income, you know, less downside versus upside to go away from that bell-shaped normal distribution. And institutions have been doing this. In, in the 90s, I worked with, you know, multi-billion dollar pension plans to do, you know, downside risk management strategies during the tech bubble, right? Um, and the the you know with ETFs you know this this ability you know options can be very complicated to use like like fixed income securities right they have a term right uh, they have so you have to you know they expire you have to roll them you know there are certain aspects of trading that you know it's better for a professional trader to do. There's, you know, figuring out what is the right design, combining them with indexes. So uh, ETF managers in this space um, really uh, can, can pull all these resources together from trading to product innovation and come out with strategies like, you know, right now we have uh, buffer protect strategies that, uh, you know, give different degrees of downside participation you know, paid for by capping upside. You know, we've also seen uh, different, you know, target income strategies where, um, you know, you could like like some strategies that QYLD, right, you could cover or write options against the entire equity exposure. But there's also uh, other ETFs that are coming out now um, like SIBOVEST has, has won uh, KNG, where you, you're writing on just a portion of the equity exposure to achieve, a, you know, kind of a step up in income behind, above the S&P dividend yield. So there's, um, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a whole category of ETFs, and, you know, there's a lot of education that is needed for investors to use them, in the, you know, to fit their investment objectives. But I think the managers out there are doing a good job in uh, in their websites in in sharing information, you know, on what the features are and how they work. 
No, I, I agree. And again, I just think looking at the current market environment, as a matter of fact, I'm going to visit with an issuer here in just a couple of minutes and app to CTFs who is using uh, calls and puts within their strategies. And I think it gets back to, to what you said, shaping investor returns. If investors can have right. some level of confidence around what the what, what the pattern of returns is that they can get or the type of risk they're taking on and, and maybe manage that to a little bit better degree, I, I think we're going to continue to see an uptake in, in those particular products. Right. And yeah, I mean, in fixed income, it has its limitations for risk management if we are going to begin to see uh, you know, positive correlation between stocks and bonds, as we painfully saw this year, right? And so what, um, by by more focused, targeted downside risk management, right, you can, uh, you can, you know, mo- you can reduce participation for a correction or for a deeper, deeper decline. There's, and you can diversify across horizons about, 20% of SIBOVES uh, ETF assets are in strategies that span a range of horizons or have a tactical way of thinking about what strategy to employ. So these are catching on. Joanne, just uh, two minutes left here. I want to make sure we discuss women in ETFs because this has really right. become a, a prominent organization within our industry and I would say even beyond uh, the, the ETF industry. Can you just talk a little bit about uh, what this organization does and and how you're helping, uh, you know, improve gender equality in asset management? Right, right, right. Well, you know, our 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 mission is connecting, inspiring, and supporting you know advancement for women in the ETF industry. And we, you know, it's almost ten years ago that the founding members we had the idea for this at an Inside ETF conference, 2013. And it was officially launched 2014. I mean, has caught on. We have, I think, 7,000. I've lost track of how many members we have across around the world. Uh, you know, we have chapters in every every financial city. That, you know, in, in even in Africa, South Africa, um, and uh, and we have almost 20 percent of our members are men because men are supportive of the advancement of women in our industry. And I think as as the labor market gets tight, you know, we're working with uh, with HR departments because this will attract more women into our industry. That we have this welcoming group, uh, and and I think with with ETFs because the ecosystem is so diverse, everyone from lawyers, compliance, sales, investment management, it provides an opportunity for us all to get together more virtually than in real than in, than physically lately, but. Um, and to put on conferences, do education, uh, bring speakers on professional development for women uh, to, you know, to the participants in the industry. Um, so it's been a great, great fun for me to be involved. And I'm actually about to step down from the board. And, and we have a great set of next generation of leaders taking taking over. So that's wonderful. Well, for listeners, I would definitely uh, recommend checking out the website if you're interested in the organization. That's womeninetfs.com. Joanne, I'm so glad we could finally do this. Really enjoyed the conversation. We'll definitely have to do this again. But thank you for joining me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That was Joanne Hill, Chief Advisor of Research at SIBOVEST.